Hello again and welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre, lecturer in literature here at Campion College. When Star Wars first erupted onto cinema screens in 1977, it became a pop culture phenomenon. In the years since, it spawned eight direct sequels or prequels, with an additional two spin-offs contained within that universe. It's offered several animated television series, two separate extended universe fictions continuing in comics and novels and video games, and whatever manner of evil those Caravan of Courage Ewok television movies were meant to be. Like the ancient heroic tales it incorporated into its potpourri of eclectic influences and cultural references, Star Wars set out, almost from its beginning, to spin into a grand, contradictory mono-mythology. But just how successful has it been in expanding and pseudo-completing its universe-building? To discuss the most recent Star Wars offerings, Rise of Skywalker and The Mandalorian, I'm joined today by fellow lecturers Thomas Flynn and Jeremy Bell. G'day, Colin. Hello. And Anna Hitchings, Campion's Media and Communications Officer. Hello. Thank you all so much for joining me today. So, I want to start... uh, I, I. I think we kind of have to start with the rise of Skywalker, which presented itself as the culmination, not only of the recent sequel trilogy that includes The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, but of the entire nine film Skywalker saga that's now run over 40 years. How successful did each of you feel that film was at either or both of these tasks? So I'll start with you, Jeremy. To be honest, after The Last Jedi, I had exceptionally low expectations. Um, I didn't even plan to see The Rise of Skywalker to begin with, and I was invited to go just after Christmas with a group, and so I thought, well, all right, I may as well go and see it. And in a way, the first thing, as you were talking, that occurred to me was, look, nine films is too much. Um, I don't think even a masterpiece, which the, The Rise of Skywalker was not, could have wrapped up a nine film sequence. So I don't think it was successful in that respect, but but I don't think we should blame it for that. I don't think there was any way you could really. I I would I mean I, I agree with you, but I, I would say it was particularly damning coming in the wake of something like the Avengers, you know, which you know whether or not you consider the masterpieces, it was the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah, okay. and and considered by fans to be incredibly successful at sort of wrapping up a giant like, mythology of, of films that went in all tangential directions. But that's not to like denigrate what you were saying. I completely agree. But it just for for fans of cinema, it it did seem like it didn't even clear that bar. I think there's also the problem which plenty of people have talked about and which we'll have to talk about sooner or later, that The Force Awakens apparently set up a number of things which then were undercut in The Last Jedi and then to some extent they were partially restored in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, so that was an additional problem. Mm. And then, I mean, the first question I would have about the film is simply was it a success in its own terms? I don't think so. I think it suffered from some of the same faults as The Last Jedi, and in particular, and for me, this is what it always comes back to, it all all has to do with the script writing. Mm. Mm. Was there a script? (laughs) (laughs) There were several scripts. There were loads of scripts being filmed and shown simultaneously. (laughs) Well, but I should, perhaps I should say this straight away, whenever people talk about these films nowadays, it seems the first thing they talk about is the special effects. Mm. Weren't the special effects wonderful? Maybe they were. I mean, we can talk about that too. But to me, no matter what the film is, my first question is always, what was the script like? Even more important than the actors. There's lots of shouting. So if you liked volume, (laughs) there was was certainly Um, that. (laughs) And, okay, my own thought was, no, the script wasn't very good. It wasn't appalling, but it wasn't very good. And in particular, when I said it suffered from the same fault as, as The Last Jedi, the main thing I mean by that is nothing was allowed to have definite, definitive significance. Mm. Mm, That's so true. The two glaring examples of this, but not the only ones, were firstly Chewbacca's resurrection Mm -hmm. and secondly C-3PO's reboot. Mm. So Chewbacca is taken aboard a ship, a First Order ship, which explodes soon afterwards. We all think he's dead and this causes great anguish. 
as well it might, because Chewbacca is an iconic character who's been around right since episode four. And actually, for the first time in the film, introduces stakes. I mean, the idea that Rey is responsible for Mm. letting her emotions go and she may have killed Chewbacca. For the first time, you actually sit forward in your seats and go, ooh, actually, this film might go somewhere. And, as you said... Indeed, yes. And the problem to me is not simply there's a question about plausibility. The more fundamental problem is... Why can't you actually have something happen that matters and from which there's no coming back? Mm. And the C-3PO example. C-3PO, I forget the exact circumstances, but he has to undergo a... What's the word? that A reboot. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, a reboot. A um, anyway, and he explains that there's no coming back from that. He says that this will mean he will never again remember his friends and he has what's supposed to be an affecting farewell. Let him look on my friends for the last time. And when I saw the film, I have to say, in that scene, I immediately thought to myself, right, and how soon will we suddenly find out actually he can be, mm. get his memory back. Lo and behold, yes, R2 comes along towards the end, <laughs> does his jigging thing, and C-3PO remembers everything. Another example, what could have been a genuinely affecting, important event in the plot becomes something that ended up not really mattering. And as I say, these are two glaring examples. If I don't exercise caution, I'll start getting carried away talking about The Last Jedi. But that to me, I might say straight away, was the defining fault of The Last Jedi, that nothing was allowed to matter. I know that you disagree with me. I, yeah, I, I'm squirming here. <laughs> I, I am inclined to defend If I could just jump show. in, actually. Yeah, just, just, um, just to piggyback off what you just said. I think it, when I first saw the movie, even in that first instance where you see the ship exploding and you, you're meant to think that Chewbacca has, has died, I think even when I watched the movie, I still wasn't really holding my breath. I think because... Even at that point, you've been led to believe that they aren't really going to take this to any high stakes. And I think I felt that from the previous movie as well. And, and that was a theme, I think, that continued. I know you said there was the two major examples, but that continued as a pattern throughout the whole movie. And I think what it really comes down to is the overarching problem underlying the entire new trilogy, which is that nobody wants to be the one to deal with the consequences of people being annoyed that you've killed their favourite character because there was actually no overarching story. There was no one person at the helm as there should have been from the very beginning. I think this was the big problem with the entire, not to pull it back entirely, but I I do think this was the big problem with the entire series. There was no overarching narrative. The story hadn't been figured out from the get-go and there wasn't one single person in charge who would have been the person to, I suppose, take those hits. And no one, I just think everyone was too cowardly to be that person, to be the bad guy. So it's just easier to fake stakes and not have to deal with the consequences than actually deliver a meaningful mm. movie with any kind of gravitas. Mm. Not, not to stick the boot into J.J. Abrams. No, no, you can, you can do Yeah, that. I think maybe I will. But, <laughs> but I, do th- I do think that's a failure of his specific filmmaking that the Rise of Skywalker put on stark display was that lack of stakes. It, it's always rising kinetic action that then gets distracted by more rising kinetic action. So you never actually have a follow-through on any something of consequence because you're always getting distracted by the next shiny, explosive yeah, thing. Yeah, like that's what you were saying before, Jeremy. Sorry to interrupt. No. Uh, about, um, you know, the first thing that people talk about is the cinematic, is the, the graphics and, you know, when the graphics amazing. Uh, the CGI, etc. That to me reminds me of a sort of like a 21st century equivalent of when you've seen a really bad play and you have to find something nice to say about it. And the only thing <laughs> the you can costume. think of to say is nice is, oh, the costumes, oh, yeah. it's remarkable, you know. <laughs> the set like, what can I say that's still true? But, you know, yeah. I think that's the 21st century equivalent of that. And also, yeah, it's, it's like you, you don't have room to breathe and to have, actually have any time to reflect. Because if you do, you start to realise how terrible the story mm. making is and it's just like the equivalent of sh- like dangling a shiny thing in front of a cat. Well, this is such a dumb example, so I do apologise, but I think it's representative. And it was certainly in my experience watching the film, I realised, okay, I'm, I'm not engaged with this film at all. Is in the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker, it's, it starts with some Kylo Ren business, but once you get past that, it's, it has our heroes jumping the Millennium Falcon from one place to the next. And they're doing these very quick... What are they called? Force jumps? Oh, no, leaps through hyperspace. Hyperleaps. Hyper, yeah. But the thing is, it, they've established in an earlier film that it takes a long time to plot in your trajectory when you're 
jumping through hyperspace. Back Again, when they cared it's about not like as easy as dusting crops, farm boy. That's exactly, yeah, so it's... <laughs> And, and they've established that if you do it quickly or idiotically, you just fly through a moon, I think is the example. A star. Oh, there we go. And that'll end your journey real quick. But, Sorry. <laughs> no, but then the first five minutes of this film, they're leaping literally 10 seconds they spend in one place before they jump to the next place. Less than 10 seconds. I'd say more like five. Exactly. So, so it's just hyperkinetic, crazy, explosive action, but it makes no sense and it undermines the that universe. So the, this... This problem that's been introduced in a previous film that, you know, you can't just press a button and fly to a new place immediately. It has now just been hand waved away. No, you can not only do it, you can do it like several times in quick succession with explosions Which going on Which supposedly then brings stress on the Millennium Falcon and will cause it. And that's, that's a Chekhov's gun. You're expecting the Millennium Falcon to fall apart. Yeah. I don't think it did. I've only seen this movie once. No, no, but, but that's exactly what I mean. It's like that should have been a big deal. That should yeah. have been a big problem. That they, But they just, ah, we, we could do it easily because Poe. Because Poe's a good pilot at the end. (laughs) Well, that was kind of the excuse with everything in this trilogy. Oh, because reasons. Because Ray's just good at everything. So that just covers all the inconvenient plot things we need to fill in. But wasn't this a problem they brought in in The Last Jedi? Everybody's going to town on this Last Jedi. I didn't like like The Last Jedi. I didn't like it. (laughs) You like it too? Ish. I didn't really like it. Some defense of it. No, no, but what I'm pointing out is before I even saw The Last Jedi, which... If I'm being really honest, I only watched just before the rise of Skywalker because I actually wanted to, you know, I wanted to understand what was going on in the story. Not that it really helped all that much, to be quite honest. But wasn't this a problem that people were complaining about in the end scene where the general, she flies, she does the sort of sacrifices herself in the ship by flying, like doing hyperspace into the middle of the first order. But I I heard, I was, I don't know, I heard that that was a problem that that actually didn't make any sense, and that was a problem in the greatest Star Wars game. Uh, I don't think so. Um, it's just kind of, well, why didn't you do that earlier? Well, I heard it didn't make sense because it actually directly countermanded previous Star Wars canon. Uh, I don't think so. I thought but it was the tracker. I thought that was the thing that was not supposed to be possible, but I may be misremembering. I've, I've watched the that, film a number of times and problem. I don't remember how the tracker makes any sense at all. There's a what? tracker in it and you can do it by breaking into the ship using your necklace that you shared with your sister. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's all... It's all... Toro Toro or or and you yeah. said you like this movie? Yeah, yeah, I quite like it. <laughs> I mean, now, what I like about um, The Last Jedi, and it, I mean, to Jeremy's point that nothing is allowed to have any significance in The Rise of Skywalker... Indeed, the, the previous decisions of the, the decisions of the previous movie aren't allowed to have any mm. significance. Or the previous trilogy. Well, I mean, what yeah. I really want you from you can kind a... of feel this underlying sort of um, passive aggression of each director. Oh, yeah. I feel against the previous yeah. director. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not that, not that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, they, so they're not. They're breaking the first rule of um, what do you call it? Improv is by mm. you have to you have to go with the story. Where yeah, it's that's yes, and, and so yeah, and, and yes they and. they don't. Um, so in the, what I would kind of like from any Star Wars movie is no force. And if what? I can't have no force... What do you, you mean to, by that? Because it's just all... It's been played out. We've seen the force all over the place. It's just a Star Wars story with, with people who don't happen to be force. That's your with. one thing that you would like to see? That's one thing, yeah. And, I, I would um, say the force uh, has become the laziest... Narrative oh, convention. Sure. Exactly. We're, we're we're trapped in a corridor. We can't possibly get out of this. Something force related happens. I can no, make the rocks fly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, in Empire Strikes Back, Princess Leia should have been able to move the rocks away so she could get onto the transport and wouldn't have had to be on the Millennium Falcon. Oh, there you go. Um, and, but, <laughs> there was also something in the original trilogy. The, the force seems to have become so much easier to use for everyone. I remember, you know, in mm. the original trilogy, it took Luke, you know, allegedly months of preparation to do something as simple as, you know, very basic telekinesis. Yeah, no, but, but that, that, no, was, that was the joke after the um, Force Awakens is that, that Rey really didn't need any training at all from Luke. So what was she doing there? But anyway, no, so the, the, um, in, <laughs> it, what I, do, I want no force. If I can't have no force, I'd like no more Skywalkers. Yeah, and, and I was thinking this is great. Um, they've they've pointed out that in fact force ability is randomly distributed. There are people all over the place who've got sort of some ability here and there, and um, Ray is one of them. Except it turns out, sorry guys, spoiler for Last uh, Rise of Skywalker, she's the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> now you mentioned the various ways Star Speaking Wars has appeared. Yeah, uh, uh, various ways Star Wars have appeared. 
Now, the, the novels. Now, I haven't read any of the novels. My acquaintance with the Star Wars uh, novels comes almost entirely from a great website called The Chopped Off Hands of Star Wars, which is still on the internet, <laughs> I discovered. And it discusses every person who and rates each movie based on the hands which get chopped off. And, and it, it, it really um, came down hard on Phantom Menace, because that doesn't have any chopped off hands. It just has Darth Maul being cut into two. Mm. And you say, that's just a, a knockoff of chopping off someone's hand. But uh, it, from that one, I learned the plot. There was a trilogy of novels involving clones and a planet where there were the Emperor's clones. So they got the really bad... Oh, and Luke gets cloned. Yeah. And you know he's a clone because it's spelt with two U's. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luke. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, this is all real. <laughs> this is, these are all in real. So these are, they really made a novel like this. And, so, and they, they took that. They thought, oh, that's a great idea. Let's mm. have... Let's... The, that final trilogy, the great decision of Darth Vader to bring balance to the Force yeah. means nothing. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, I totally agree. Because that, that, that's the big thing that obviously everybody... I mean, it's inescapable. The second that you watch The Rise of Skywalker, you realise it's refuting everything in the previous film. Uh, Rey's singularity and the... the uh, her being an upshoot of the force that, that came out of nowhere, that's gone because no, she's just the, a just the child of some drunks who sold them for drink. That's yeah. great. But, no, I see that annoyed me. I like that was because that was so well, it was so built up in the first movie that that was something that you never got the satisfaction of learning. So, this is what but, this is a lot of my problems with the last. Well, I have problems yeah. both with The Last Jedi for doing what it did to The Force Awakens, the same issues I have with The Rise of Skywalker for doing the same thing to The Last Jedi. I mean, I do appreciate that. J.J. Abrams had to wrap up the whole thing, and uh, and that was probably mm. not an easy task given you know what he had to deal with. Having said that, though, I, I I thought that was particularly frustrating as a viewer, and it was all especially because what what is that what, what is that about subverting expectations? Is that oh, really more important like than actually telling yeah. a good story? Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. I guess from my perspective, I thought it was a good story because yes, it was. It was lots. It was lots of story. Very poorly told. I felt. But it You're was talking about the Rise of Skywalker. Sorry, yeah, uh, the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi, because it was. It was yes. It was disregarding this idea of uh, lineage because, of course, everybody went in to the second film in the trilogy expecting, oh, it's going to be like Empire. We're going to find out that she's actually related. Luke was related to Darth Vader. This is the film where we realize that she's related to. Aunt Baru or some nonsense. So, <laughs> instead, yeah. But instead, it turns out that no, she's just she's no one. And exactly as you said, then suddenly the Force returns to this idea of of being a natural phenomenon that can occur in anyone, anywhere, as opposed to this familial empire lineage that gets passed down through the blood. It's a very well, I don't weird mind. fascist tendency <laughs> to turn up in the films when you go well, back I, to that. I, I really don't mind about expectations being subverted for the sake of an overall story. What annoyed me about The Last Jedi was that it was a constant series of subverted expectations seemingly for the sake of that Exactly, alone. that's mm. precisely I mean, right. But, but, but they didn't just subvert the the ending of Return of the Jedi by having the Emperor cloned. You think, oh, well, if, he can, if he can pull together from a galaxy's worth of raw materials a gigantic fleet of star destroyers, presumably he can have another planet where there are some other clones which mm. he can then... So it, it's clones all the way down. <laughs> and, 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 and so the, the entire story is, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Maybe because they thought they would remind them too much of the prequels, which they were clearly trying to get away from. By invoking clones again. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. The thing about The Rise of Skywalker is it's loads of different... I can't even remember, keep track of all the different themes they've got going. Mm. And, yes, um, there's too much happening. Yeah, there's a, colliding you, you and can, it, directly contradicting it one another. Reads yeah. like, it reads like one of my undergraduate essays where I managed to find um, themes that probably weren't really there. And, and so it reads like what the book, the text that I was talking about actually was. It's got this theme. I can't even remember, but they got the friendship, discovering distant relations, um, turning people back to the good, um, and that that whole cheating nonsense which they establish in the Last Jedi about how you don't need to physically be next to each other, but it's possible to do a sort of force trunk call or something. Mm. Um, except it turned out that it was the Emperor who was controlling that all along. I so think the idea was that it was maybe triggered by Snoke. Slash the he's, emperor, he's but then it went the, on without him. He, he, he's the, he's, he's the, um, the data look, gateway. Again, something. you're looking for meaning in 
like wiki quotes. Like yeah, I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Um, it, it's pareidolia. I'm. I, I'm finding things that yeah. aren't there. In I will random say, shapes. I think what, and I know I, I fully understand, and I kind of I, I do empathize with with people who didn't like the last jedi because you're right on on a certain level it was saying hey all of those expectations that you came into the cinema with we're gonna sort of throw them out certainly undermine them actively that's only one reason i didn't like it no true though i'm just talking about one that that level of of the film but i think the intent there was to say the reason that we're going to throw these out is because your expectations limit where the story could go. So it was a, a way of saying it doesn't matter who her parents are. What matters is who she's going to become. And it doesn't matter who Snoke was because the guy you should be looking at is Kylo Ren. And he's far more dangerous than some weird CGI mummy ever was. The problem is that then you have to follow that up with a film that makes good on those mm-hmm. promises. And the, the rise of Skywalker and said, sorry, you guys got mad. Hold on. No, wait, the Emperor's back. And uh, Raid is actually related to somebody important. And, and Snoke was a clone. Look, you guessed it, Redditors. Like, and all those knew. things that you said would have been fine had they been worked out in advance exactly. before any of the movies yeah, were even, exactly. were even then created. It, then this it is just the became big problem. The plot was just like, let's just make... It's like a make-your-own-adventure-up-as-you-go-along. Yeah. It was... So insulting to me as a life as a lifelong Star Wars fan to just be strung along by this director's vision versus that director. Well, that's vision. absolutely, and that was what you were saying about the the uh, failure of the yes and yeah. improv thing. Is you're meant to say, oh, I've taken your idea and I've subverted it, and then I throw it back to you. And Abrams was meant to riff on that, and instead he went, no, that doesn't work. Let's go back to my idea, yeah, exactly. what I did but first. I think and, even all of that is a problem because there yeah. should have been one script. One director, one vision, one one storyline, one plot, which was not, which was unchanged from the beginning. I mean, mm. are we are we really surprised? This is from the director who gave us Lost. I mean, like, the, I thought we, be, I like, we weren't allowed to blame JJ Abrams for Lost. I thought that was someone else's fault. The, oh, the okay. same problem existed in Lost as existed in Star Wars, and it's kind of amazing that this actually happened because we thought, oh, JJ Abrams is he going to do the same thing to Star Wars? Surely they wouldn't get on some guy who's going to do that again that being starting a story with no clear idea of what it's going to end up. And that's exactly what they did. Well, but hang on a sec. It doesn't necessarily matter because actually the original trilogy was exactly the same. I was just about to say that. Yes. Yes. When A New Hope came out, the plot for Return of the uh, for um, Empire Strikes Back, let alone Return of the Jedi, was in no one's mind. And Mm. they had a really glaring problem, which was that you had two male leads and only one woman. What are you going to do? And they came up with an ingenious solution. Okay, one of them's a brother, so that'll deal with that. But that's of course, they're, that they're too late to deal with the infamous kiss, but never yeah. mind that. I don't um, think that was a problem. I don't think that was a problem with the original Star Wars trilogy. No, I'm not he's, saying it's a problem. It doesn't have. No, I'm, but I'm point. saying it, I'm saying it is, and here's why: because the original trilogy, there wasn't the level of gravitas and and importance and expectation that there was with this trilogy. There was much more onus on them to actually get it right given that there was so much more expectation and so much more to build it, and also, to Thomas's point, so much more material um, I think it's it. probably true to say that they got in their own heads. Not, not so much that there was so much gravitas, because that implies that we as the fans are owed Maybe something. Maybe not gravitas. We're not owed no, anything. We're just, yeah, we, we, we get the film we get if we like it, great. If not, the problem I think was, and certainly the uh, Rise of Skywalker is rife with this, is that they clearly did feel some obligation to make everybody happy. And you can't make everybody happy. Yeah, that was yeah. another problem, but I yeah. don't think it's the main problem. It's, it's I like... mean, even if they had, hadn't figured out all the little bits and pieces, if they'd had, I think they needed to have, at the very least, an overarching plot that started and finished and, wasn't, and didn't have major plot points changed throughout, which is exactly what we got. Again, to to Jeremy's point, because I do kind of agree with this, the the first trilogy didn't have that, and you can see how it was made up on the fly. The problem was that they were all pulling together. You Mm. you could sense that there was was a cohesion of, of vision and spirit. So the plot wasn't mapped out, but there were people working together to oversee that it all hung together. Whereas here, there does seem to be the second film was handed off to somebody who felt no obligation to hold to the first person's 
uh, vision and then the third person who was the first person came in and then contradicted that mm. so that yeah, there that needed to be an overarching maybe not an overarching plot I think it should have been an overarching plot but yeah maybe yeah. at least an overarching like an overseer something whether it was the same director or someone above yeah. that I think this was or even again just that general yes and spirit yeah. that, that sense of well, okay I will respect what has happened before in order to carry it forward as opposed to just going no you were wrong no yeah. that's yeah. he lied and that wasn't true I, yeah. I do have a problem with J.J. Abrams a setting things <laughs> up without actually having an already uh, an answer already ready. I do the have a problem. I have thing. a problem with that because he can that is for that, because that right. is one of the major things that end up making this whole series sort of spiral out of control. Really, mm. you were going to say something before? No, I, I'm just reminiscing on the mad, mad stuff that you find that you find a um, a squadron of cowboy space cavalry. Was this um, in Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, destroying a Death, a Star Destroyer or something. It was, I mean, completely bonkers. Yeah. But, and kind of, would it be in a better thing. film or a worse film? Um, no, yeah. no, in a better film, it would have been really great. But it was, there was some sword? Um, no, there was a dagger that mysteriously oh, that so lined up perfectly with the crashed Death mm. Star in the North. Oh, oh, by the yeah, way, how did it yeah. dress up which is the size of a planet drivel. crash on another planet? That it, no, that's small of Smaller than planets, but yeah, I mean, I, I would really have preferred the Ewok Holocaust. And my, and, and I, in my, my first viewing of the um, Force Awakens trailer, I thought, oh, finally they've confirmed the Ewok Holocaust. This is end all devastated, but um, no. Well, I get that, not, not to desperately but that, that, try that was interesting. Go back to the ruins of this gigantic space station and find some holocron. That did yeah. look pretty cool. Again, no, that was going back to some graphics. Yeah, but... But it's the idea of doing it, and then how well do they pull it off? So I guess um, it, it, the, that doesn't matter. The risk of veering away from the Ewok Holocaust. We should, because the, the film presents itself as the culmination of an epic. This is the final statement. This is the big farewell. As you said, the trailer was just overflowing with that sense. Oh, I, mean, I didn't even watch this the trailer. This is your should have. last ability to, to say goodbye to Star Wars. So, Which, what? of course, we all know it's not. Exactly, yeah. Anyway. But Again, what, with the stakes. Taking it... At a face value that it doesn't deserve. What do you think it was trying to say? Like, what 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 does this film do you think believe the entirety of the Star Wars? Over? I don't think it was I trying to watched, say anything. I think no, it was exactly. trying to deal with a lot of awkward loose ends. That's yeah. what I think it was. It, it's trying to so just housekeeping and really. to distract people in the meantime um, by all the shiny graphics. <clears throat> a criticism that was justly made of Star Wars: A New Hope was that the only African American actor in the film or in any major role was the voice of the bad guy James L. Jones as the voice of Darth Vader and uh, they came back a bit with that they um, recruited Billy D. Williams to play Lando Calrissian but he's a great character he's awesome yeah um, and then, not, not in Rise of Skywalker but in <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back I didn't like yes. him in The Empire oh, Strikes Back right, yeah, that's super right. forgettable yeah? Yeah, yeah he turns up and oh, saves is, the day but sorry, he's... I was just thinking of Donald Glover and I was thinking I'm pretty sure he's not <laughs> Um, right, yeah, he does. He turns up and says the day, and he may have a connection with one of those aforementioned. Mm. That's one of those scripts that got or thrown out, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. See, I told you, it's loads and loads of scripts. So, yeah, yeah it had a script. Like 12. You want to see more? That, that was, a, was an answer. He was a, he was a great character, he was a great actor, um, did a great job in that, and, in, and he has developed as a character in Return of the Jedi. In, in, in the new trilogy, they were determined they always had to have We Are Making a Significant Stand. And um, so, for no reason, given he was born up, brought up as a stormtrooper, why on earth would he do this? John Boy- uh, Finn takes Ray's hand. This is a big deal. How she's not—I mean, obviously she's not a damsel in distress. She's managed to survive under very harsh conditions uh, all by herself for a long time. But they had to make a point how he was being patronising and he needed to be taught a lesson because that's what we need to do. And, then, uh, and there's so many choices that are only there for the woke. And it's just... Oh, uh, I like that stuff. But I... Yeah, well, but, but, but hang on a second. I mean, the infamous one, of course, is the the female captain not revealing Hoda, that's her name, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Not revealing her plot to the people on board ship, including in particular Poe. Am I mixing up the names? No, no, it's, no. it's Hoda and, and Poe. Yes. Although I would counter... No, 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 she's but I haven't, fin- I haven't finished... Yeah. No, I haven't finished the thought. Okay. This Well, actually, two things at once, but in a way, they're variations on the same point. First of all, this means that Poe and Rose and co. go off on what ends up being a completely pointless goose chase to Bingo Planet. Mm. Um, 
But then also, naturally, because they haven't been told what's happening, they don't have a clue, Poe thinks, right, this is, we're going to be destroyed, I have got to take charge. And then, in the end, it turns out she actually did have a plan. But I know a lot of people got angry because they felt that this was actually a kind of slapdown to the male character, that that was actually the whole point yeah. of it. Now, I don't know to what extent that was actually true. It didn't strike me that way so much in the film. But if that was the intention, again, my major objection to it is it was just so stupidly handled plot-wise because there wasn't a good reason not to say something about what the plot was. Oh, well, then I think Chain of Command says you don't need to tell. Yeah. They should be following orders. Mind you, they've already established... Also, he's demoted for disobeying orders. Yeah, so... yeah. And so then he does rigorously stick to the orders at the end because he's learned his lesson. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Um, but there is that sense in which... I mean, yes, I think it is kind of logically it doesn't make much sense that even if he's been demoted why not just tell him the plan just to settle this guy down well, but particularly when it's at the point of mutiny yes well yeah, I think but... to Jeremy's point what the problem as a viewer is that it feels very much like a fabricated form of of, of drama they've just inserted to sort of hype up the emotions for the longest Star Wars film because that could so easily not have happened but they put it in there to fabricate that kind of but, but it happened because he couldn't he, he disobeyed the chain of command and he was uh, being too I don't want to say aggressive but he, he being too um, childish yeah and, and yes okay it is a little bit of a repudiation of that classic trope of the rebel who does what he knows is right and screw you know orders he's going that's quite good though as a, as, a, as a storytelling choice, I think so too. Um, oh, wait, you, you mean that trope or the um, a, a challenge to it? Challenge to it. Yeah, I, I totally um, agree. No, but, but but they should have gone and see. Unlike um, the new Star Wars trilogy, we are not going to repudiate the conclusions of earlier podcasts. So I repeat what I said then: is he should have been shot. <laughs> The first thing they did. <laughs> get, uh, Have that on your lunchbox, sh- kitties. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I do think it, it was it was maybe a little clumsily handled, but I kind of respected that it was in there. And, and obviously, I have my arguments about why the the narratives in the Last Jedi weren't completely pointless because the the film is about learning from failure and discovering that there are uh, lessons to be drawn from not succeeding or so just that you for- can and forgetting about for. a beloved character well, apparently she wasn't beloved um, but a character you've established quite firmly in the previous movie and she just doesn't do terribly much this is Rose oh right M- moving into Rise of Skywalker yeah well again we they, they repudiate that was well, that just a failed attempt to try to create an alternative romance for Poe because they wanted uh, Ray to end no, up with no, Kylo Finn. Ren that, Finn. sorry to throw Poe Finn is what I meant to say because they wanted Ray and Kylo Ren to have a sort of a will they won't they dynamic that was my thinking but of course the actors had zero chemistry so it just ended up being very very flat and disappointing clearly clearly Rose was meant to represent something of the fans view like she she comes in thinking that she's meant to be a love interest for Finn I mean that's made obvious by the end of the film no but also she's an interesting choice to introduce randomly aren't you an advocate for Kylo Ren and Ray no, kissing. No, I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Uh, I know, Rose but kissing Finn. I'm saying we're going to compare. Absolutely, and in fact, oh, I was going to say um, <laughs> that wasn't random. It was that because I would I would argue that actually the one thing I don't I was, even know what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> I only saw this film once. It was a long time ago. The one. I, I will admit, when I watched The Last Jedi, there was only one plot point that I was had any remote interest in or emotional connection with at all, and that was the that was the interesting dynamic that occurred in the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey, where they go from enemies to being, you know, frenemies. Mm. Um, if I can use that silly term, and then that sets up a, a potential romance dynamic. At least that seemed to be very, very obvious to me when I watched The Last Jedi. I'm not going to lie; that's the main reason I watched The Rise of Skywalker because I wanted to see if they would actually fulfil that. I was glad they did, but I was really annoyed they killed him. With Rose, I thought Rose. I mean, you, yeah, she probably is a fan representation, and that's kind of a problem. Is that they are then breaking the fourth wall ever so subtly here and mm. there? But they did that with uh, Ray having Star Wars toys in the um, in, in mm. uh, Force Awakens. But, uh, I mean, but she. But 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 also, what what I think of her as is 
she's the grunts whom we see in the background, the yeah. ones um, running off in a, in a small platoon while Luke Skywalker flies off in his speeder. And I, I often think, watching um, Return of the Jedi, and this kind of connects to uh, The Mandalorian, um, or a character in The Mandalorian. So they, you've got those elite uh, rebel soldiers drop down, commanded by Han Solo, because you know they have to have a commander um, whose, whose name is above the title, and um, commanded by Han Solo and Princess Leia, and that's okay, and Chewbacca, he's obviously good in a fight, and he, he blends in with trees, um, and this incredibly shiny droid, and this beepy <laughs> other droid, and, and uh, if I was one of those bearded, rugged um, short swords, I think, hang on guys, like for example, uh, uh, in, in Return of Jedi, it's one of the sort of un- unintentionally funny bits, is Princess Leia and Luke get separated, and then Han Solo has to go and sort that out, and so they're separate, and he just says to the soldiers, oh, we'll meet you later, you know, they could have handled the entire <laughs> job by themselves, no problem whatsoever. But uh, but so you actually finally get to see things a bit from the point of view yeah. of these regular soldiers, not the fancy force Millennium Falcon flying princess being. Well, that was um, the whole point behind Finn's characters. character, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, um, exactly. Finn and Rose. So Rose is she's a mechanic. Her sister was a um, bomber pilot, and, uh, and but then they just sort of dump her. Yeah. You know, well, I do. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like she, she's one of the background players who then gets to communicate with the the big frontline heroes and has that little bit of hero worship. You're Finn. You're, you're wow. You're important, so that she can realize that no, there's more complexity and contradiction and, and a little bit of hypocrisy uh, in him and the image that he wants to project because that's about that. You know, the entire film, The Last Jedi, is about people confronting their image of, you know, their expectations of what these narratives and these characters should be, and then discovering that there's more nuance there. So she plays it on that level. Ray does it with Luke Skywalker. Skywalker does it with himself. He has to have puppet Yoda turn up and go, maybe get out of your own way, dude. Like, yeah. uh, it's the, the whole film is about even uh, Kylo Ren and his relationship with Snoke and all that stuff. And, and on, a, on a larger, you know, meta level, that's what the audience is being asked to do with the narrative and, and everything. The problem then is that, yeah, you shove Rose back into the, the background and go, we don't need to hear your perspective anymore. And you don't follow through on Finn, who was going through that process of self-discovery mm-hmm. and re-examination. He does nothing in the third in, film except scream Ray the entire time. In fact, if they hadn't been, if they just accepted that Ray's nobody, um, she was sold for drinking money by her parents at yeah. the end. If they just accepted that then they could actually spend time saying, well, who is Finn? Where was he kidnapped from? And his story is, is the most and there are also fascinating the is he thing connected in, Is he connected to, in some way to that cowboy space girl? Uh, My thing is, is does he, he even need to be? Or... Like, again, there's this fascinating thing that he's been trained and inculcated and brainwashed into behaving as a, as a brainless warrior. You know, a stormtrooper told to do his bidding and not question his orders and so he questions his orders that's fascinating that's on a character arc that's incredibly interesting and the fact that he struggles with that for two films is amazing and and could go somewhere and then they just forget it well i think this is why there's so much angst and frustration over this trilogy in general because there was so much stuff that was interesting and fascinating and compelling that was promised and never delivered on and that's just Apart from Bad anything else, storytelling. it's just deeply, deeply dissatisfying. And mm. in the end, I would argue that the only character who's compelling in any way throughout all three films is Kylo Ren. And who also just kind of gets a bit abandoned. And then they the just kill film. him off at the end. And he has his Knights of Ren, except they, they turn out not to be a problem. So they're his, like... Uh, when he was a angsty teenager biker buddies or something. <laughs> you used to be cool, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that line should have been in the movie. Yeah. Um, well, you've cited The Mandalorian earlier, so maybe we should steer into that and maybe talk about the, the comparisons that can be drawn there because somewhat in, in parallel with the release of The Rise of Skywalker, another Star Wars product, uh, a premium television series for Disney Plus streaming on their new platform, The Mandalorian, which was created and produced by Jon Favreau, uh, is the story of a bounty hunter in the, the style and even the aesthetic design of a Boba Fett who takes on an unlikely, inconceivably adorable passenger that decides 
that uh, to, to come with him and who he deems he must protect from harm. So what was the Mandalorian trying to do, do you think? And how successful was it, particularly in the shadow of Rise of It was Skull. trying to do what Solo did, what Firefly did. <gasps> Egg money. He said well, Firefly. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was being a Western in space. Okay. And he's, he's, the, he's the lone gunslinger. He's uh, travelling through the galaxy. He's got his, his past. He's got his honour. And he's got his blaster. I Plus some other stuff too. Slightly different take on what I think it was meant to be about. Oh, I don't know about that, but anyway, that too, and well, it's a bunch of other stuff. Well, obviously, all of these things are just meant to make money. Like that's that's the real reason. But I think that the Mandalorian was a a decision to invest on the freedom that now has been opened up in the Star Wars universe to actually make your own Star Wars movies and to jump into a period of the. Star Wars universe that is best known and loved, which is you know close to the ending of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. but actually make it for adults this time and not allegedly, you know, because Star Wars is allegedly a series of movies for children. It's still a bit for children. I was going to say there are choices in there that are the Mandalorian. Uh, yep, oh, but I don't agree. Ba- Baby Yoda is basically a plush toy that they're no, but no, it's fat, meant fat. to appeal to girls like me, and it one hundred percent worked because I was in love. Like I started watching the Mandalorian. I came back from the rise of Skywalker disappointed, and I thought, "That's it! I'm going to get Disney, Disney Plus. I'm going to watch the Mandalorian." And I like that that was your impulse. You disappointed me, Disney and Star Wars. Now let me get a Disney and Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, you purchase some... more of your products. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Um, That's how they uh, get you. Yeah, yeah. They do. But I just wanted something to clean the palate, so I tr- I've heard it. <laughs> so was good, more so of the same. Just... <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't more. If it had been more of the same, I would have just cancelled the sub, and that'd be fine. No, I mean, but well, anyway, so I, I, I started watching, and I, I watched the first couple of episodes, but it sort of blurred a bit with the rise of Skywalker because I watched them within the same oh, really? twenty four hours or within the same day. So um, I was thinking, I would say this for the rise of Skywalker. At least it finally acknowledged the presence of lavatories and um, the need to use them. In so the you mean the, the, that's the, the, the Mandalorian? Mandalorian. No, that's the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, see, that, but that's the Mandalorian, you see. So I, I, I got them blurred up. And so what I thought was this sort of interesting, they're finally acknowledging the fact that you What does he say? He has to expel his thorax? Yeah, so yeah, they do it in a sort of stupid space way. Yeah, but, um, so what were you confusing? Well, I'm confused because when the Emperor is... raises his hand, the lightning comes out. That's not him going... Going to the bathroom. Yeah, I know exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly, but I, I, I sort of got the mixed up. And they, but it also, you know, you know, these are going to go wrong with those iris doors. Is that somebody's going to get <laughs> caught in them? Well, and so they show that happen. I so, think that they made it clear that it was meant to be for adults from the get go. Because in the opening scene, when um, Mandalorian walks into the bar and has a tussle with those men, and he wipes them all out quite violently, including one guy who gets chopped in half by mm. the doors as he's trying to escape. That's clearly not a scene that's been written for children. I guess that's true, yeah, but when Baby Yoda turns up, it's the surprise stinger at the end of the yeah, first that, that, episode. And they very carefully made that choice. That yeah. They w- would not be revealed. So there was, they completely forewent. Um, they have foregone um, uh, all sorts of merchandising deals that they yeah, could, could right. have had yeah. by selling Baby Yoda yeah. toys. Because they want they'll, to they'll bring in Baby Yoda toys later, I'm sure. There are already... There are already there. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. My children all love the Baby Yoda. <laughs> but uh, look, I'm a, huge, I'm a huge Baby Yoda fan. But um, <clears throat> as little as I thought that I would be. No, but what I think the reason that, it's, that, that that whole thing, that dynamic works so well is because it's the unlikely pairing of mm. a very masculine, hardcore you know, um, warrior with this precious little vulnerable, little mm. very cute... Kinder, kindergarten and, cop in and space. Also, well, not only that, but, but also that he's... Do you not, are you not a fan of the Mandalorian? No, I love the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, I'm, he's, I'm he's being also, the... Uh, it's yeah. also... But also, he's, he's ultra-competent. He's really good the way he managed it. Um, turns out that you can do carbonite freezing within a spaceship. I um, like that he's yeah. not competent. No, 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 no. He's, he's good, but he's good at his job. He's not. He's not. Yeah, they've really yeah. franchised that since um, since the Empire Strikes yeah, Back. Yeah, but he's no good at looking after children. He actually does not understand. He just thinks you can just take that child and say, "Don't do that," and the child won't do that, and the child just comes back. And at one point, he takes out the child takes over the spaceship, and they begin to go into a death spin. So <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, well, I mean, the answer to your question, yes, I think the Mandalorian was it clearly, by all accounts, by all ratings and reviews, massively successful, and I just think a far better story and um, far better quality piece of, of television than any of the recent Star Wars movies. See, I think, and that's that's kind of my question, because when you put Rise of Skywalker and The Mandalorian next to each other, they have a lot of discouraging similarities. So that, to me, they both read 
just superficially, if you just like look at them on paper, they both read like terrible fan fiction. Where <laughs> they do, like the Rise of Skywalker is all about. And what if the Emperor came back? And what if you found out that Ray was actually really important? And it's just this. And, and Lando, we'll see Lando. And it's this list of how cool would that be? Down to idiotically minute things like let's give Chewie his medal. That's something people oh, complained yeah. about on the internet once. So. It, it just turns into this checklist of how do we please the nerds. A fan service checklist. Yeah, and as a nerd, I felt completely pandered to and patronised. Whereas The Mandalorian, again, looked at very superficially, is the same thing. It's, oh, Boba Fett's cool. Let's make a whole series about Boba Fett. And how cute was Yoda? Could you imagine if he was a little baby? And, and they, they, go, uh, they look back at the original series and go, yeah, that Mos Eisley Cantina was pretty cool. What if we just start from there? We'll just go straight and do the bounty hunting. People Except love the this bounty time, hunting. It's not on a desert. It's not on a sand planet. What I'm thinking, I think it's on a sand. Snow! Yes! <laughs> But it's, and so, again, you get that checklist thing, except here it's more organic. There's something, there actually seems like a narrative reason for pairing all of the stylistic uh, influences back. one person in charge. Yeah. Yes. I think that's it. But you also have, not just that, but you also, watching it, you have that felt confidence that... Whoever's in charge of this knows exactly where this story is going. They know... Like, or they trust where it's going, at least. Well, at least for this season. Like, you, mm. you, like you, you get that trustworthy sense that they know where it's going to end, at least at the end of this season, from where it's beginning. Like, yeah. especially when they introduce the baby, baby... I mean, obviously, Baby Yoda, for lack of a better term. It's obviously not Baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah. But Baby whatever species Yoda, Yoda species, is. Yeah. yeah, they when they introduce that character, especially the very targeted way they did it at, at the end of the first episode, you know that this is going this is a story that they've already figured out. It's been mapped out. And I think that just makes you able to relax and enjoy the viewing process in a way you can't with a And you could prove that just by watching the show or at least watching the well, watching the recaps at the beginning of each episode. Because you can see this. Ah, oh, well, now we're calling back this bit. We're calling back this yeah, bit from episode one. This mm. bit from episode three. Also, great soundtrack. Can I just say? Yeah, yeah. The mm. music is phenomenal. It's and so good. It got, got that little bit of spaghetti western yeah. vibe with a. a I've never bit seen of a spaghetti western, input. so I don't. I don't really? know anything. Actually, to be honest, this is embarrassing to admit. It wasn't until about halfway through the series that I even realised it was meant to be evoking a western, oh, that's and that's fun. just because I was reading the, the trivia stuff about but it online. The, the thing is, the original Star Wars is like that. You know, it, it, it feels very cohesive, and uh, it feels like this wonderful environment to uh, live in doesn't matter if you don't get that it's a pastiche like, of like samurai Westerns. film. No, but, but so I just I never associate the closest I've ever come to actually watching one. To be fair, is Back to the Future three. But but the that's not close. <laughs> wow, <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be unpacked in future. But but um, no no no. It's what I mean is that the original Star Wars film draws from you know Kurosawa films and Flash Gordon serials and. Uh, westerns and uh, uh, I mean the Lord of the Rings I mean it, it's just this melting pot uh, it's like a gumbo of, of different narrative forms and tropes and yet it's it brought together so organically that you just buy into it it doesn't matter if you haven't seen any of those individual texts they work together mm. and also worth noting the use of the force in the Mandalorian is as ridiculous as it becomes in the Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. where yep. Baby Yoda is able to you know the whole idea of healing with the force be, be able to do almost anything without much training yeah, I mean, admittedly is... Baby Yoda is meant to be 50 years old so maybe he's spent the last 50 no, years no, no, training I, I, think, I, I, think, I think the point is that he's, he's just a species that is A. rare and B. force natural yeah, I, th- I I kind of buy that. I found it slightly annoying. I think it's a bit scary that he can. I mean, it's like that famous science fiction story. It's a wonderful day, or it's a beautiful day, where um there's this all powerful child is in charge of um uh, is in charge of this town and he's able to control. That's a Twilight everyone. Zone. Story. Yeah, yeah, it became a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. And um, so it's a bit like that. Is is that you've got this tiny child who, when he gets into a temper or when he thinks his protector is being damaged, he's force throttles Cara Dune. That's her name, um, and she thinks that is not okay. And I thought, oh yeah, yeah, I didn't like that line, but okay. Um, I like that he did it though. Yeah, is that weird? She kind of annoyed me. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, what's the point of being undercover if you've got a massive rebel symbol as a teardrop tattoo? <laughs> 
The Mandalorian. Right. I, I mean, I do. Maybe we'll, could, we could talk about what did the Mandalorian do right that the new trilogy could have done. Well, that's what I was told. Uh, a stripped down, not stripped down, but told a consistent, coherent story and didn't chuck in loads of other stuff. I one person in charge. I, I think. I think that that's it. Is the Mandalorian? That's what I was uh, artlessly trying to articulate before. Is the Mandalorian actually uh, respects? that paring down process is that star Wars doesn't have to be everything for everyone all the time. It can just be, this is a little Western, you know, and, and it captures that original quality of of the the first movie, which is that these are characters just on the periphery of a big Mm, galactic. That's so true. Yeah. And that's actually, I kept thinking, and obviously there were deliberate references to the first first Star Wars movie, particularly being, you know, set on a desert planet, which is where most of the action takes place. But yeah, I, did, I was getting a lot of, it was getting a lot of um, reminiscences of, of a, a New Hope watching yeah. the Mandalorian for that I mean, reason. But the, the, simply the, the fact that he's got to hide this baby Yoda means that narratively he has to stay, you know, in the shadows and he it, he's not going to be at the front line of the galactic rebel war against that. Like, that's not what this narrative is. And it declares that overtly is that none of this is about a character who's in as far toward the periphery of the action as possible in order to keep himself and his uh, he's also super cool safe. like he's pretty badass i really like mandalorian he looks cool he's a cat you don't think so he's- not no no his, i think I, not I, when his mask comes off he doesn't i like yeah, he's haste and sweaty. pretty sweaty <laughs> no i i like that he's uh there are moments where he's clumsy and and sort of screws up. I like that it's in a process of him learning. Obviously, the big symbolic movement of the series was him getting his jetpack. You know, that yeah. was symbolic of uh, now he's really like a Mandalorian warrior. But uh, even more than that, so but, Boba know, Fett goes horribly wrong in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, apparently if you just jam one yeah, in yeah. the back, it, it really screws Maybe up. Maybe this is the new model. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I, I do like that uh, it's about him failing, you know, like a spaghetti western. You know, they're, they're, they're not these untouchable heroes that, that can't be ever defeated or outdrawn. But it does have some utterly pre- preposterous bits. Like, apparently, everything always takes place on the same planet. The Mandalorians, in general, are just hiding out in the sewers underneath this... Yeah, what was that about? I didn't no, understand. Um, was the, the I idea don't think that... there's a lot to explain They're there. just I in think. hiding. They're just in why? hiding. Why in... are they in hiding? Oh, well, they're in hiding because they've been um, persecuted by the Empire. Yeah. Um, but the Empire's gone. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're hanging up for some reason. Yeah, I know exactly. But then he just walks around so casually yeah, everywhere. Yeah, So yeah, why yeah, are the rest of them... Yeah, can only one of them come out at a time? I was so confused yeah, by yeah, all of that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but also, they're, they're, in, they're, they, they're just hanging out. But surely they, they could be hanging out somewhere else. Down into, there. Like, exactly. Obviously exactly. walking in down this exactly. set of stairs. Or the like, pizza delivery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my point is that um, there's, there's a lot of silliness going on in there. But still, um, that it, it gets past that silliness because yeah. the story is clear. You and can invest positive. in it, yeah. yeah. And as you pointed out before, there's that clarity of vision. Somebody is guiding. The there's even that stupid bit that says, I'm going to leave you until sunset to decide. Why don't you just open fire and kill them all now? I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, that was a bit silly. Does it all happen on the same planet? They go to that. No, no, they do go. It goes in different villages. planets, but where the where the, where, the, worst where the Mandalores are. That's 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 a classic Western. That one. That's um. That's uh. Seven brothers. I didn't care about seven brothers. Seven brothers. Seven samurai. Yeah, the seven samurai. What's the seven samurai? Uh, that one become the. Oh, what's it? Um, it with is, Yul Brenner, it's it's um, a classic one. Oh um, yeah, but the, the, but yeah, okay. If you didn't, you you didn't buy it. But the, yeah, they they take place on two couple of planets. There's the one where Baby Yoda is being. Guarded by the most useless guards, but apparently nobody else could get past them. There until... are a lot of them, though. Yeah, but they weren't very good. Um, the, until Mandalorian and IG-11 turn up. and. But I think the point is everyone's come individually. It was only the fact that the two of them were together that they were able to... Yeah, maybe. maybe. Okay, and then there's... Because uh... both of them would have failed separately. Yeah, yeah. and then, then, then there's the planet where the... The, 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 it's called, it's actually given a name, but it's wherever the Mandalorians are hanging out until they decide not to be. And then there's the, Which is there's basically the prison ship. And oh, yeah. Like, there's a few um, that, and then going back to your point about how you can't just hyperspace jump all over the place, that's the point. That prison ship is stuck there waiting to be able to make its jump. Mm. And they can get in there and... Um, 
and, uh, and bust that guy out. And they have to come up with a plan. Which and again, again is also apparently you can have these trackers, um, and rebel pilots will, without question, accept that this tracker means you can now blow this place apart. So that's great. One thing, just going back to how it does In resonate short, with um, A New Hope, I really appreciated the fact that they chose to use a puppet for Baby Yoda oh, rather yeah. than actually make him out of CGI. I think. I remember um, one of the characters, I think actually the German guy, the one who's sort of like the, the one who gives the Mandalorian the quest, can't remember his name. The German guy? He's, he's, he's yeah, Werner Watzog. Thank you. Look, just don't judge me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I think it was him, one of the actors anyway, they were discussing whether to use a puppet or, um, or yeah, make him out of CG. Dog, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he, and he said, you know, basically, don't be so cowardly, just, you know, stick with the puppet. And I I'm wish so CGI had never been invented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't quite go that far. I would. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Actually, maybe CGI shouldn't have been invented. I'm quite prepared to defend that. It's just it's hard. You it, it's a necessary suspension of disbelief because you can just no matter how good it is, you can still tell it's fake. That's, I that's not the only point. The much more important one for me about CGI is when you've got a when you've got a puppet or a, a machine or anything. It's obvious that there is actually something there interacting with the actors. Yeah, the mm. reaction is yes. so crucial. Now, I mean, and never mind that it makes it easier for the actors. Um, it's just easy to watch. You know, we, mm. we did the podcast on Doctor Who. I couldn't care less how fake the puppets look in Doctor Who. I mean, other people could, fine. <laughs> but at least there's actually something there, not, not, not a visually produced image. It just casts a veil of... Falsity over the whole thing. I don't. I don't care how clever it is. Although you wouldn't have things like the Lord of the Rings without CGI. Okay, you actually could. I think you could. It would be a lot more difficult, not more expensive. With like the backdrops and everything, but also all the the, the, the battle scenes. They you have to. You would have to make choices, which is the th- what had to happen with the original Star Wars. Exactly, trilogy. the original they Star Wars had did it. to make mm. choices, and it's, I really do appreciate that about it. It was very. Like, didn't they put like Vaseline on the bottom of the screen yeah, to have the wheels yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. the speeder that Luke? But it's also because of the budget constraints of a television series. What they have to do with Mandalorian. Mm. I mean, I think the impulse would be to go with the puppet anyway. I mean, I would hope. Certainly, when Yoda turned up in The Last Jedi, they went with a puppet, thankfully, rather than going CGI for his uh, appearance again. So I would hope they'd go for the puppet, but I, I do think there is an element where they have to be more creative and more thoughtful in the way that they construct The Mandalorian because they just don't have endless money to throw at the thing. So mm. No, I think that's a really important point. But it, oh, you it can't doesn't... just have every spaceship in the galaxy arriving at yeah. the last minute. Oh, and that was so ridiculous. But it does it get, it gets Star that's, Wars uh, back that's to Rise that... of Skywalker folks. Don't watch it. But it gets Star Wars back to that feeling of, of being a bit ramshackle and and uh, this sort of creative work in in which you can tell that the people are just pouring love into the thing. But it's not just that. I think think that the other reason we all appreciate it is because there's a level of trust that the filmmakers show in their audience by basically saying, okay, we're going to use something that's not real, but we're going to trust that you're going to roll with it. You know, that like we don't have to try to make everything look shiny and fancy to like please everyone and to sort of convince them we can actually just make it the best we can and then just hope they love it because we love it. They're not trying to make... Does that make sense? Maybe yeah. I haven't articulated that yeah. very well. But I think it just does show more trust in the audience that they can... Even if they know it's a puppet, they can they can suspend their disbelief and actually just enjoy it regardless. They don't have to try and make everything look like super real through computer animation. Yeah. If you had a really good puppeteer like Frank Oz... Yeah. <laughs> it helps. So were there any final comments that we wanted to make, comparisons to draw between the two, any uh, sort of illustrating points that we think can be made? I have a final comment. I may never watch another new Star Wars film again. Really? You've tapped out? 2019 was the end? The end, yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. I gotta say, I I feel the lethargy. I liked. um, Can't be bothered. I liked the new Obi Wan Kenobi Kenobi TV series. Yeah, can't be bothered. Yeah. New trilogy? You have got to be kidding. Would you watch the second season of The Mandalorian? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I said Star Wars movie. Fair enough. It was a long protest. I think that the take-home message that seems glaringly obvious, obvious to me is what we've already mentioned a bunch of times, which is the the giant problem with this Star Wars trilogy, the reason Star Wars trilogy, was that it didn't have an overarching vision or, or any real clear, consistent direction, which The Mandalorian had. And also, it didn't try to do everything. It didn't try to please everyone. It was just trying to be what it was. To all you storytellers out there make decisions and decisions have consequences 
That's the they take home from the new Star Wars trilogy because that's what they didn't do. Respect the yes and. Respect the yes and. Respect the audience. And know which audience members to ignore. I think. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Well, those were some of our thoughts on Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, and the general state of the Star Wars universe. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please do tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback, please do drop us a line. Our email is conversations at campion.edu.au. I want to thank Anna. You're welcome. Thomas. Thank you, Colin. And Jeremy. Very welcome. For joining me today. And we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. Are there any final comments that we or summarial sort of things we want to say? Get your trial subscription to Disney Plus, watch The Mandalorian, <laughs> and then cancel it if you want to. That's exactly what I did. I will get it again to watch season two because I'm so excited. My, I've still got my Disney We are not sponsored by Disney Plus. <laughs> I, I said get your trial no subscription free and then cancel it. Campion Conversations is a product of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.